Hi everyone, I'm Lindsay LaValle. Welcome to Rush Hour, the congestion of human trafficking in America. In this podcast, we will address the problem that is human trafficking, not only to spread awareness, but to share information that will help keep you and your community safe. Rush Hour is brought to you by The Wolf Group, powered by eTactics. Today, we're joined by Carolyn Kinkoff, whose life has been directly impacted by human trafficking. Carolyn, how are you? I'm well. Good. Um, Carolyn uses her knowledge and experience today to help spread awareness and combat the issue of human trafficking. So thank you very much for that. So we'll jump right in. Carolyn, would you mind telling us a little bit about your story? And would you tell us about your daughter Courtney's story as well? Of course, and they're intertwined. So first of all, thank you both for having me. Um, My daughter, Courtney, was a human trafficking victim. She met her trafficker in 2015 when she was admitted to the hospital because of a mental health diagnosis. Uh, She began going missing overnight in, in 2016, then for longer periods of time, beginning in 2019. She was victimized in many Ohio cities and across the country in states like Michigan, Colorado, California, and Louisiana. And unfortunately, sadly, she died as a result of her human trafficking victimization after being missing for three months from a group home for residents diagnosed with a mental illness run by state hospital staff um, earlier this year. That was in February of this year. I'm so sorry to hear that, Carolyn, but thank you for your strength and and for your willingness to um, speak out about this because I think it's it's just so vital for people to understand all of the different sides of human trafficking, it's especially being a mother and and um, losing your child to this terrible, you know criminal act. So thank you for for joining us. When did you first realize there was something serious going on with Courtney? I first realized the severity of her victimization in 2018 um, when she went missing overnight and her trafficker texted me that he thought he would become her pimp. She had needle marks in her foot. Um, I contacted police, filed several missing person reports over the years, but he always got to her first. He evaded police or he manipulated his way out of many situations, which unfortunately I didn't realize until after Courtney went missing in 2019 and her case manager recommended I contact the local human trafficking task force due to Courtney's vulnerabilities. Until then, I didn't know what human trafficking was, what it looked like that her supposed friend was facilitating her trafficking and compelling prostitution and taking her to strip clubs. And it's when she was missing that I found a police report that they had been to a strip club and she was nude from the waist down and a park ranger had stopped them and let them go despite my having guardianship, because it's it's just not something that is well known. And oftentimes human trafficking is is hidden in plain sight. And unfortunately, I have many such stories and instances in which, you know, it was missed. It missed opportunities across the board. I didn't know what was happening. Courtney didn't realize what was happening. She did not self-identify and she was afraid of community backlash. So even when she was given the opportunity to see law enforcement or speak with law enforcement, she had been groomed and conditioned that she would get in trouble if she told them the truth. And it was true. She ended up being incarcerated for attempted possession of 
um, drugs and her traffickers to date, none of them have faced incarceration or charges of any kind. It's interesting that you say that because I, you know, I was literally just reading something today on that fact. And a lot of times, you know, number one, a lot of times trafficking victims do not self-report. They don't see themselves as trafficking victims. If a police officer walked up and said, are you being trafficked? They likely wouldn't say yes. They don't may not even know what that means. But I, right. I also read something today that said oftentimes trafficking victims are arrested for other crimes. So it maybe it's credit card fraud or maybe it's drug possession or stealing or, you know, theft or different things that they're oftentimes doing because of their trafficker, because of, you know, being coerced and being brainwashed and all of the, you know, if you're not performing sex acts, you're stealing or you're, you're doing other criminal acts and, it didn't dawn on me until a couple of weeks ago when that was mentioned and the training that, that you hosted that I attended that, you know, that oftentimes these individuals are incarcerated for other acts that have may not look like human trafficking. It's very true. And sometimes it's just survival. You know, mm -hmm. these, these men, women and children are just trying to survive. Carolyn, what were some of the signs that you know now would be warning signs of human trafficking. What would you say to people? What would be some signs that maybe you could have recognized or now you would, you know, tell folks these are signs or these are things to look for? Well, sometimes it's very subtle. Mm -hmm. um, the first thing I would tell parents or caregivers or friends or family um, is trust your instincts. So that's one thing I wish that I would have um, trusted mine a little bit more. Courtney's trafficker um, allegedly had a mental health diagnosis. And so I empathized as a mother, mm. I sympathized. I was groomed right along with my daughter. Mm. So be very careful if, if, there's a, if there are bells and whistles going off or you get those butterflies or something just doesn't seem right. You know, Courtney didn't have many friends. I thought that this was truly somebody who had her best interest at heart until it was too late. Courtney often lost, misplaced or stated her ID and phone were stolen. Um, she acquired several devices over the years, cell phones, laptops, even a Chromebook that she stated people just gave to her. And Courtney was a very charming person. She was the kind of person who would go for a job interview and she would get it on the very first try. It, it was very believable that these things were happening. And then in looking back, I'm pretty sure people were either stealing her phones and selling them or she was selling them for drugs or a combination or, you know, her trafficker was convincing her that that was what she should do. And, and I don't think it was just him. Um, I, I eventually wised up and as, as her guardian, I was able to put... Um, find my device on her iPhone and she it was a much older model because I didn't dare buy her anything newer that would always disappear but I did buy the protection plan so we could replace it whenever she went missing or her phone went missing I did locate her phone one time when it was sold at a gas station when she had a boyfriend and um, they were both really surprised that I recovered her phone and that I handed it right back to her and said might not want to lose that again so right. you know but it was a double-edged sword to have her phone allowed her freedoms to um, use applications that weren't safe for her as much as I tried to lock them down. She was very intelligent, way smarter than me when it comes to devices. Know your kids' passwords. Check their social media. I've heard Bill speak about this in the past for some of his seminars. Have a shared room where the children charge their device. I went to an ICAC um, training recently here in Cleveland and 
the most dangerous place for children is in their bedrooms and in their homes and in their bathroom um, when they're alone and they can be groomed and they can be exploited. So it's not just human trafficking, but exploitation is sometimes how it begins. And that's how Courtney's victimization began. It began with her being exploited and sending nudes and um, becoming a cam girl for a, a man that she lived with who said, oh, I need help paying the bills, even though she worked part-time in an office. So that primed her and groomed her to be more vulnerable. Once her trafficker came along, she had already been desensitized. So not only are victims desensitized to these types of acts, um, but also law enforcement, healthcare workers, mental health mm. providers, even the community. People joke about happy endings or prostitutes, or they call um, human trafficking stings. You know, if you're arresting a buyer, that's not a human trafficking investigation that you're going after the buyers. But if you recover a victim, that is human trafficking. Oftentimes it, it frustrates me when people say it's a prostitution sting. It's not, they're not there willingly. And there's no happy ending with these, these women and men who are brought here and children and forced to live in a salon and service people and not have any type of life whatsoever. I just wish that people wouldn't be so desensitized and they'd actually see what was happening. And the one thing I would think, I think I would tell parents is don't think your child is making bad choices and blame them for their choices. Mm -hmm. Now, don't mistake me. I'm not saying they shouldn't be accountable for their actions. Look at the big picture and try to look at it from their perspective. Are they, is there peer pressure? Is somebody pressuring them? What can you do to separate the, them from those friends so they don't make those poor choices? And believe me, as much as I tried to do so, like I said, Courtney happened to befriend somebody who I thought had her best interest in mind. And I found out later um, when she became violently ill, he told me he gave her herbs. I have no idea what type of herbs, but it, um, they were, but Courtney ended up hospitalized inpatient because of whatever it was she ingested that her trafficker had given her. So I do believe she did well when she wasn't permitted to see him when she was in the group home and the staff would not permit him to come see her. I even got a um, temporary, I'm sorry, a civil protection order against him once I realized what was happening. But it was a very long um, arduous battle and I had to convince law enforcement and healthcare workers and even a magistrate that my daughter was being victimized and that I was trying to protect her and just separate her from the people who were victimizing her. I think one of the points to be made is that just educating these people on these doctors, nurses, practitioners, um, law enforcement officers, your first interaction with that person may not be when they're ready to you know, come out of their trafficking scenario. So I, I think, Carolyn, that maybe was sort of your daughter's case in some in some instances, because I feel like in stories you told me she came back at times and then left. And, you know, it's a step it's a step process. Right. And step one might just be being kind to them and, and recognizing that they're in that situation and showing them love or 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 kindness or support. Do you want to speak on that a little, Carolyn, maybe? I, I do. So I agree with what you said about training and all of that. So the problem with Courtney was that she was a 29-year-old woman and had the emotional intelligence of a 13-year-old child, which is why I had guardianship. And that was told by me by multiple psychiatrists. And the difference between a successful recovery for Courtney and an unsuccessful recovery that resulted in her death was awareness and um, the skills training that 
police had. And part of it was my husband and me actually educating our local police chief and him reaching out to the judge and saying, this adult has guardianship, what do I do? And the judge said, you treat her like a juvenile. The Eastlake Police Department worked with Allen Park, Michigan police, so between Ohio and Michigan, and her father and I were able to successfully recover her, take her to a local hospital and have a forensic exam, a sexual assault exam, because um, having guardianship, she could not consent. So whether or not she wanted to come out of that life, she wasn't able to make that decision. She did not have the emotional intelligence to take care of herself clearly. And that was my plea to police was, please treat her like a juvenile. And they saw her as an adult. And no less than three police officers saw my daughter within two weeks of her death. She was seven miles from where I work. And she even asked a homicide detective for money on Thursday and she was dead by Monday because they just didn't know what to do. They didn't build that trust. They didn't plant a seed. They didn't say, can I take you to the, the diversion center or to the hospital or, you know, note that there was guardianship and call the parents. Um, instead, they called and left a message for dispatch that person who handled the missing person report in another city didn't get till the next day. By the time he and the task force and my husband and I were looking for Courtney, we literally missed her by 15 minutes. The task force detective missed my daughter by 15 minutes on the day that she was last seen by a store clerk. And she was found after that weekend dead. It's very frustrating to me and I will never give up. And I fully believe in awareness training and skills training. And my focus, although I'm talking more about awareness here on this podcast, is um, skills training. I wholeheartedly agree with Bill. I started a collaborative in Lake County and we gather professionals and community leaders. It's not open to the public, not that they're shunned and not that we haven't shared it or invited them for specific, for some trainings, but there are some trainings that are law enforcement specific, first responder specific, that we don't wanna share that information with traffickers. So we invite mm -hmm. leaders and we share that information bi-monthly with each other and talk about labor trafficking and sex trafficking and exploitation. Um, we've had the Ohio Attorney General's office has spoken, um, the U.S. Marshal's office, you know, we're going to have the EEOC next year. And the training that I just did, it was hosted by Cleveland State University Police, was a skills training. It was interdiction and operations because police didn't know what to do when they saw my daughter. And I will not give up. I will not quit. I will keep fighting even though she's passed. When Courtney was alive, people said, when will you quit? And I said, never until I take my last breath. God, God forbid something happened to her. I'll never quit. So I plan on getting my PhD and researching human trafficking because I don't want another family or another child to suffer from this. It's horrible. So I appreciate everything you both do, and I'm really glad that you let me share her story and be her voice because she can't speak and tell her story anymore. And Carolyn, you are her voice. I mean, I'm just in awe of you. I tell you that a lot, but I, I mean it in my soul. Like, you're you're just incredible. Your strength is is amazing to me. It's really what helps drive me to want to do more. Um, is, is just knowing you. So thank you so much for, for sharing her story. To kind of just continue the conversation on training, the professionals that she 
that approached her that she approached do you feel like they were adequately trained if you had to put a definition on it no okay absolutely not so the I mentioned when Courtney had needle marks in her foot, I took her to her primary care physician, which of course her trafficker was right there at the appointment with us because he always interjected himself. Every ED visit, every hospitalization, every primary care visit, he was always there pretending to be her supportive friend, um, group home until he was banned from there. Um, but when she had the needle marks in her foot, we went to the emergency department and he was not permitted to come into the room with us. And I asked for a SANE exam because Courtney told me that she was drugged. Um, her drugs of choice did not involve needles at that point. So with needle marks in her foot, I suspected she had been drugged. And I told the emergency department physician, you know, this is why I get frustrated with people using the word prostitution because I didn't know any better. So now that I do, it frustrates me um, because I thought Courtney uh, was prostituting herself for drugs not realizing that with my guardianship and her inability to consent, that she could not consent. She could not prostitute herself, therefore she was prostituted. And the ED physician not only didn't understand guardianship, he didn't understand human trafficking. So they didn't have a sane nurse available. He discharged Courtney without ever separating us, without ever asking her questions because she was drugged, she was lethargic, she wasn't showing any signs of mental health, you know, a crisis mm -hmm. or anything. She was drugged, didn't keep her, nothing. Um, discharged her and said, don't use drugs. That is literally what it states on the discharge papers. Police, when Courtney went missing in 2019, the sergeant, Courtney reached out to me from Michigan. She was in Detroit, Michigan with a supposed husband. Well, in my former life, I was a paralegal. So I reached out to the clerk of courts and said, do you have any marriage records between this time and this time? And they stated no. So I told the sergeant, the detective sergeant, I said, she's not married. Um, I, we need to recover her. This man is trafficking her. And he told me that it was a spiritual marriage. Now, whether or not he was trying to appease me as the mom, or if he truly believed that, I was appalled. I couldn't believe that they didn't take me seriously. And unfortunately, it's because of that mentality that when the police officers, when Courtney did go missing in November of 2021, until she, you know, she was cited by the police officers, I don't think anybody realized how deadly it could be, how dangerous it was for her to be on the streets alone, for her to be traveling the country alone. Imagine a 13-year-old child traveling mm. the country alone. And one of the truck drivers, so um, the only, as to my knowledge, the only required training in Ohio is for truck drivers who obtain their, their um, CDL and cosmetologists. That's it. No other professionals require training, and they should. And even the trainings that are available, you can't have a one hour seminar and mm -hmm. expect to be certified on human trafficking mm -hmm. when it is so much deeper than that. So I really truly believe in longer trainings, experience trainings, the hotelier training that you and Bill, that eTactics and Bill did earlier this year, I thought was phenomenal. My collaborative, the Lake County Collaborative to End Human Trafficking has also partnered with the Collaborative to End Human Trafficking and the Ohio Hotel and Lodging Association to do our own training in my county for hoteliers because we understand the importance of it. And we ask them, 
isn't this better than the one hour training that your staff mm -hmm. receives? And they all agreed. It, ha it has to, there has to be more. There has to be a multidisciplinary approach. Not only that, not only healthcare, law enforcement, social workers across the board, hoteliers, oh, we could go on and on, educators, um, schools, uh, um, like I said, we could go on and on with that, but there has to be, we have to break the silos and we have to bridge those gaps. As you stated for your training, mm -hmm. we have to communicate and we have to coordinate and we have to have more comprehensive care for victims as well and trauma-informed care, very important. Agreed. I was on a webinar today um, specific to uh, foster children and, and something I didn't consider. I mean, I know children um, go missing from foster care and I, and at a rapid rate, I learned today, but I also know that children are, are sometimes trafficked by their foster care parents. Um, but one of the things I didn't consider until today was why aren't we training foster parents? I mean, they go through this whole rigorous program to become foster parents. They have to do all this, all kinds of training and checks and balances with, with, within that program to become a foster parent, but why aren't we training them on human trafficking because those children are so often, you know, groomed and, and trafficked. So I, I was like, oh, that makes sense. We should be training foster parents and foster children. So one thing I would like you to just explain a little more in depth in depth is the SANE exam, if you would, please, because I know that we understand what that is, but a lot of folks wouldn't know to ask for that. So would you describe what that is? A forensic exam or a sexual assault nursing examination is used for cases of rape, sexual assault. This is difficult to explain because I'm not a nurse. However, I didn't know what a SANE exam was. I didn't know that because of Courtney's guardianship, that she was sexually assaulted and that I should have been asking for a SANE exam mm -hmm. until um, I became more educated about it. Uh, and unfortunately, the hospital that we took her to many times and asked for such an exam didn't have comprehensive care. So, is, so there was a lot of diagnostic overshadowing. So as soon as we said mental health and she was in crisis, they totally disregarded any of the medical procedures that may have been needed or they just didn't have a program that they could do those medical procedures. So when Courtney was recovered from Allen Park, Michigan, her father and I took it upon ourselves to research what the hospitals in which hospitals in our area provided um, forensic exams, sexual assault, assault nursing examinations. And importantly, we needed to know what the ages were. So there are children's hospitals that handle children, and then there are other hospitals that may have adults, and then there are even some that do pediatrics and adult sexual assault nursing examinations. Another more advice that I can give to community members and all, you know, even to professionals, educate yourself. Learn about these things if they're important to you or if they're relevant to you. Again, not every human trafficking victim will want a sexual assault nursing examination or to report to police. But if healthcare providers can build that trust, plant that seed, allow that opportunity when they do want help or do want to get out of the game, or even law enforcement, same thing. If they want to, if they plant that seed, build that trust and just know that so victims know they have someone they can call or someone they can turn to that who they can trust. Um, and unfortunately, some professionals are traffickers. 
or buyers. So it's really important too to you know establish that trust with them and be trustworthy and not make promises you can't keep. Mm -hmm. Very important. And I think another point is for law enforcement officers and healthcare providers to connect with their victim advocate groups because you know who can help with transportation, help with substance abuse, help with healthcare, help with housing, finances, food, whatever it might be that you know fulfills those needs that that these individuals obviously will have at that point. Lindsay, I think I may have mentioned this to you before, but uh, Bill's organization is the very first organization I reached out to because there was not training available that I knew of and I didn't know who to call or where to begin and um, that was the beginning of my healing journey although Courtney was still missing at the time she was recovered they not only spoke with me but they connected me with other people they connected me with Bill they tried to help me find housing for Courtney truly you know went above and beyond from being states apart to have that mm -hmm. connectivity so that was a, a beautiful example of some of the silos that are broken and if we can work together we can figure out help for you know these victims and i know the harriet tubman movement is a really strong advocacy mm. group here in northeast ohio as well in addition to the ones that you mentioned and they will work to place victims anywhere in the country but yes the advocacy groups are hugely important we are trying to fill that gap here in northeast ohio with our coalition in lake county and we're trying to expand out to um and kind of connect some of the counties that don't have coalition. So we don't provide services, but we can connect services. And sometimes I think that's that's um, important too. So people just know where to begin. For sure. And Carolyn, do you have a website or anything that you would like to mention if folks need to reach out to you? Not yet. If they go to the Ohio Anti-Human Trafficking Coalition map and click on Lake County, they are mailing address and email are listed there. I do have a LinkedIn if people want to reach out. I, I think they may have to send an email, but they can certainly reach out to you as well. And I'm happy to speak Definitely. with anyone who has any any questions. Thank you very much. And and again, you're you're such a blessing to us and to the world and to folks that I, I'm positive that you're making a change in this world and that people are learning from you. And I know as a, as a new mom myself, like I just, my heart breaks for you, but I love you and I thank you so much for the Aww. work that you're doing. I love you too, Lindsay. Thank you for your support. It's very yeah. healing, truly. We, we kind of like to close with, again, just some tips for Main Street. So any anything else that you would like to say for parents or teachers or anyone that, you know, just is an everyday Joe like I kind of am or um, <laughs> everyday Jane like I kind of am? Certainly. Uh, be sensitive. Make sure you see the victim and don't victim blame. Ask mm. questions like we talked about. Seek help. Trust your instincts for parents and educators. And if the child or adult is in imminent danger, call 911. Otherwise, call your local human trafficking task force. If you call the FBI in Cleveland anyway, they'll direct you to the Cuyahoga Regional Human Trafficking Task Force, who covers all the way from Cedar Point, Sandusky, all the way to Ashtabula. And then we have some um, great, you know, the Summit County Task Force. We have several task forces mm. in Ohio. There's there's always help available. You just need to know where to begin. And if you're not sure, look up the anti-human trafficking coalitions in your area or advocacy groups because they can connect you as well. 
Thank you so much. And I, I definitely agree with that. I think knowledge is, is just power in any situation, whether it's training or whether it's doing your own research and being your own advocate or being your child's advocate or your student's advocate. Thank you for those words. I really appreciate it. And thank you guys again for your time. Um, thank you for listening and stay safe.